hey guys once again welcome back to demigod wars and for today i'm gonna start with the seventh chapter of the book one series so let's start with it chapter seven medina goes up in smoke words of the bathroom incident spread immediately wherever i went campus pointed at me and murmured something about toilet water or maybe they were just staring at Annabeth, who was still pretty much dripping wet. She showed me a few more places. The metal shop where kids were forging their own swords. The arts and crafts room where satyrs were sandblasting a giant marble statue of a goat man. And the climbing wall which actually consisted of two facing walls that shook violently, dropped boulders, sprayed lava and clashed together if you didn't get to the top fast enough. Finally, we returned to the canyon lake where the trail led back to the caverns. I've got trading to do, and which said flatly. Dinner's at 7.30. Just follow your cabin to the mess hall. Annabeth, I'm sorry about the toilets. Forever. It wasn't my fault. She looked at me skeptically, and I realized it was my fault. I'd made the water shoot out of the bathroom fixtures. I didn't understand how, but the toilets had responded to me, had become one of the plumbing. He knew to talk to the oracle, Annabeth said. Who? Not who, what? The oracle. Alak Shiran. I stared into the lake, wishing somebody would give me a straight answer for once. I wasn't expecting anybody to be looking back at me from the bottom, so my heart skipped a beat when I noticed two teenage girls sitting cross-legged at the base of the pyre about 20 feet below. They wore blue jeans and shimmering green t-shirts and their brown hair floated loose around their shoulders as minnows darted in and out. They smiled and wavered as if I were a long-lost friend. I didn't know what else to do. Then I waved back. Don't encourage them. And with warned, Nayans are terrible flirts. Nayans? I repeated, feeling completely overwhelmed. That's it. I want to go home now. And with frowned. Don't you get it, Percy? You are home. This is the only safe place on earth for kids like us. You mean mentally disturbed kids? I mean not human. Not totally human anyway, half human. Half human and half what? I think you know. I didn't want to admit but I was afraid I did. I felt the tingling in my limbs, a sensation I sometimes felt when my mom talked about my dad. God, I said. Half God. And Beth nodded. Your father isn't dead, Percy. He's one of the Olympians. That's crazy. Is it? What's the most common thing gods did in the old stories? They ran around falling in love with humans and having kids with them. Do you think they have changed their habits in the last few millennia? But those are just... I almost said myths again. Then I remembered Shiraz's warning that in 2000 years, I might be considered a myth. But if all kids here are half-gods, demigods, Anvid said, that's the official term, or half-bloods. Then, who's her dad? Her hands tightened around, her th- around the pile railing. The feeling... I did just trespassed on a sensitive subject. My dad is a professor at West Point, she said. I haven't seen him since I was very small. He teaches American history. He's human? What? You assume it has to be a male god who finds a human female attractive? How sexist is that? Who's your mom then? Given six. Meaning? And with straightened. Athena, goddess of wisdom and battle. Okay, I thought. Why not? And my dad? Undetermined. Anvid said, like I told you before, nobody knows. Except my mother, she knew. Maybe not, Percy. 
Gods don't always reveal their identities. My dad would have. He loved her. And would give me a cautious look. She didn't want to burst my bubble. Maybe you're right. Maybe he'll send a sign. That's the only way you know for sure your father has to send you a sign claiming you as a son. Sometimes this happens. You mean sometimes this doesn't? And with ran her palm along the railing. The gods are busy. They have a lot of kids and they don't always... Well, they don't care about us or see they ignore us. I thought about some of the kids I'd seen in the hermit's cabin. Teenagers who looked sullen and depressed as if they were waiting for a call that would never come. Had I known kids like that at Yance Academy, shuffled off to boarding schools by rich parents who didn't have the time to deal with them. But God should behave better. So, I'm stuck here, I said. That's it? For the rest of my life? It depends, Anvid said. Some campers only stay the summer. If you're a child of Aphrodite or Demeter, you're probably not a real powerful force. The monsters might ignore you, so you can get by with a few months of summer training and live in the mortal world for the rest of the year. But for some of us, it's too dangerous to leave. We are year-rounders. In the mortal world, we attract monsters. The sensors, they come to challenges. Most of the time, they'll ignore us until we're old enough to cause trouble. About 10 or 11 years, but after that, most demigods either make their way here or they get killed off. A few manage to survive in the outside world and become famous. Believe me, if I told you the names, you didn't know them. Some don't even realize they are demigods. But very, very few were like that. So a monster can't get in here? And they shook her head. Not unless they're intentionally stalked in the woods or specially summoned by somebody on the inside. Why would anybody someone want to summon a monster? Practical fights, practical jokes. Practical jokes? <sighs> the point is, the bottles are sealed to keep monsters and mortals out. From the outside, mortals look into the valley and see nothing unusual, just a strawberry farm. So, you're a rear rounder? Annabeth nodded. From under the collar of her t-shirt, she pulled a leather necklace with five clay beads of different colors. It was just like Leo's except Annabeth's also had a gold, big gold ring strung on it, like a college ring. I've been here since I was seven, she said. Every August, on the last day of summer session, you get a bead for surviving another year. I've been here longer than most of the counselors. And they're all in college. Why did you come so young? She twisted the ring on her necklace. None of your business. Oh. I stood there for a minute in uncomfortable silence. So... I could just walk out of here right now if I wanted to. It would be suicide. But if you could, with Mr. D's or Chiron's permission. But they wouldn't give permission until the end of the summer se- session unless... Unless you were granted a quest. But that hardly ever happens. The last time... Her voice trailed off. I could tell from the tone that the last time hadn't gone well. Back in the sick room, I said, when you were feeding me that stuff, I'm Russia. Yeah. You asked me something about the summer solstice. Anvit's shoulders tensed. So you do know something. Well, no. Back at my old school, I overheard Grover and Sharon talking about it. Grover mentioned the summer solstice. He said something like we didn't have much time because of the deadline. What did that mean? She clenched her face. I wish I knew. Shiron and the Satis, they know, but they won't tell me. Something is wrong in Olympus, something pretty major. The last time I was there, everything seemed so normal. You've been to Olympus? 
Some of us year-rounders, Luke and Clarice and I and a few others. We took a field trip during winter solstice. That's when the gods have their big annual council. But how did they get there? The Long Island Railroad, of course. You get off at Penn Station, Empire State Building, especially special elevator to the 600th floor. She looked at me like she was sure I must know this already. You are a New Yorker, right? Oh, sure. As far as I knew, there were only 102 floors in the Empire State Building, but I decided not to point that out. Right after we visited, and with continued, the weather got weird as if the gods started fighting. A couple of times since, I have overheard Satis talking. The best I can figure out is that something important was stolen, and if it is isn't returned by summer solstice, there is going to be trouble. When you came, I was hoping. I mean, Athena can get along with anybody, except for Ares. And of course, she's got the rivalry with Poseidon. But I mean, aside from that, I thought we could work together. I thought, you might know something. I shook my head. I wished I could help her, but I felt too hungry and tired and mentally overloaded to ask any more questions. I've got to get a quest, and with murder to herself. I'm not too young, if they would just tell me the problem. I will smell barbecue smoke coming from somewhere nearby. Anmut must have heard my stomach roll. She told me to go on, she'd catch me later. I left her on the pile, tracing her finger across the reel as if drawing a battle plan. Back at cabin 11, everybody was talking and horsing around, waiting for dinner. For the first time, I noticed a lot of campers had similar features. Sharp noses, upturned eyebrows, mischievous smiles. They were the kind of kids that teachers would peg as troublemakers. Thankfully, nobody paid much attention to me as I walked over to my spot on the floor and plopped down with my minotaur horn. The counselor, Liu, came over. He had the same Hermes family resemblance too. It was marred by that scar on his right cheek, but his smile was intact. Found your sleeping bag, he said, and here I stole you some toiletries from the camp store. I couldn't tell he was, if he was kidding about the stealing part. I said, thanks. No prob. Luke sat next to me, pushed his back against the wall. Tough first day. I don't belong here, I said. I don't even believe the gods. Yeah, he said. That's how we all started. Once you start believing in them, it doesn't get any easier. The bitterness in his voice surprised me because Luke seemed like a pretty easygoing guy. He looked like he could handle just about anything. So your dad is Hermes? I asked. He pushed a switch he pulled a switchblade out of his back pocket and for a second I thought he was going to gut me, but he just scrapped the mud off the sole of his handle. Yeah, Hermes. The wingfooted messenger guy. That's him, messengers, medicines, travelers, merchants, thieves. Anybody uses the road. That's why you're here, enjoying Camp Cabin Eleven's hospitality. Hermes isn't picky about who he sponsors. I figured Luke didn't mean to call me a nobody. He just had a lot in his mind. You ever met your dad? I asked. Once. I waited, thinking that if he wanted to tell me, he'd tell me. Apparently, he didn't. I wondered if the story had anything to do with how he got his car. Luke looked up and managed to smile. Don't worry about it, Percy. The campers here, they are mostly good people. After all, we're extended family, right? We take care of each other. He seemed to understand how lost I felt and I was grateful for that because an older guy like him, even if he was a counsellor, should have steered clear of an uncool middle schooler like me. But Luke had welcomed me into the cabin, he had even stolen me some toiletries which was the nicest thing anybody had done for me all day. I decided to ask him my last big question, the one that had been bothering me all afternoon. Clarice from Ares was joking about me being the big threat material. Then Anvid twice she said that i might be the one 
She said I should talk to the oracle. What was that all about? Leung folded his knife. I hate prophecies. What do you mean? His face twitched around the scarf. Let's just say I messed things up for everybody else. The last two years, ever since my trip to the Garden of the Hesperides went sore, Chiron hasn't allowed any more quests. Annabeth's been dying to get out into the world. She pestered Chiron so much, he finally told her he already knew her fate. He had a prophecy from the Oracle. He wouldn't tell her the whole thing, but he said Annabeth wasn't destined to go on a quest yet. She had to wait until... Until somebody special came to the camp. Somebody special? Don't worry about it, kid, Luke said. Annabeth wants to thank every new camper who comes through. Here is the omen she's been waiting for. Now come on, it's dinner time. The moment he said it, a horn blew in the distance. In the distance. Somehow, I knew it was a coon shell, even though I've never heard one before. Luke yelled, Eleven fallen! The hole came in. About twenty of us filed into the common yards. The, we lined up in order of seniority, so of course I was dead last. The campers came from the other cabins to accept for the three empty cabins at the end and cabin eight, which had looked normal in the daytime, but now was but was now starting to glow silver as the sun went down. We marched up the hill to the mess hall pavilion. Sartis joined us from the meadows. Nayans emerged from the canning lake. A few other girls came out of the woods, and when I say out of the woods, I mean straight out of the woods. I saw one girl about nine or ten years old melt from the side of a maple tree and come skipping up the hill. In all, there may be maybe a hundred campers, a few dozen satyrs, and a dozen assorted wood nymphs and nayats. In the pavilion, torches blazed around the marble columns. A central fire burned in a bronze beer's brazier the size of a bathtub. Each cabin had its own table, covered in white cloth, trimmed in purple. Four of the tables were empty, but cabin 11's was way overcrowded. He had to squeeze onto the edge of the bench with half my butt hanging off. I saw Grover sitting at table 12 with Mr. D, a few satyrs and a couple of plump, blonde boys, who looked just like Mr. D. She ran stood to one side, the picnic table being way too small for a centaur. Anvid sat at cabin 6, table 6 with a bunch of senior, serious-looking athletic kids, all with her grey eyes and honey-blonde hair. Clary sat behind me at Avery's table. She had apparently gotten over being hosed down because she was laughing and belching right alongside her friends. Finally, Shinod pounded his hoof against the marble floor of the pavilion and everybody fell silent. He raised a glass. To the gods! Everybody yelled, raise their glasses. To the gods! Wood names came forward with platters of food. Grapes, apples, strawberries, cheese, fresh bread and yes, barbecue. My glass was empty but Luke said, speak to it. Whatever you want. Non-alcoholic, of course. I said, cherry coke. The glass filled with sparkling caramel liquid. Then I had an idea. Blue cherry coke. The soda turned a violent shade of cobalt. I took a cautious sip. Perfect. I drank a toast to my mother. She's not gone, I told myself. Not permanently, anyway. She's in the undervolt, and if that's a real place, then someday... Here you go, Percy, Liu said, handing me a platter of smoked brisket. I loaded my plate and I was about to take a big bite when I noticed everybody getting up, carrying their plates toward the fire in the center of the pavilion. I wondered if they were going for desert or something. Come on, Luke said. Luke said to me. As I got closer, I saw that everyone was taking a portion of their meal and dropping it on the fire. The ripest strawberry, the juiciest slice of beef, the warmest, most buttery roll. Luke murmured in my ear, burnt offerings for the gods. I like the smell. You are kidding. 
His look warned me not to take this lightly, but I couldn't help wondering why an immortal, all-powerful being would like the smell of burning food. Luke approached the fire, bowed his head, and tossed in a cluster of fat red grapes. Hermes. I was red. I was next. I wished I knew what God's name to see. Finally, I made a silent plea. Whoever you are, tell me, please. He scraped a big slice of brisket into the flames. When I caught a whiff of the smoke, I didn't gag. It smelled nothing like burning food. It smelled of hot chocolate and fresh baked brownies, hamburgers on the grill, and wildflowers and a hundred other good things that shouldn't have gone well together but did. I could almost believe the gods could live off that smoke. When everybody had finished their meals and seated, Shiran pounded his hoof again for our attention. Mr. D got up with a huge sigh. Yes, I suppose I did better say hello to you all brats. Well, hello. Our chief's director, Shiran, says the next capture the flags is Friday. Cabin 5 presently holds the laurels. A bunch of ugly cheering rose from the Iris table. Personally, Mr. D continued. I couldn't care less but congratulations. Also, I should tell you that we have a new camper today, Peter Johnson. Shiran murmured something. Er, Percy Jackson. Mr. D corrected. That's right. Hooray and all that. Mr. Deke said, Now run along to your silly campfire. Go on. Everybody cheered. We all headed down towards the amphitheater where Apollos came and let us sing along. He sang camp songs about the gods and its moors and joked around and the funny thing was, I didn't feel that anyone was staring at me anymore. I felt like I was home. Later in the evening, when the sparks from the campfire were scrolling into a starry sky, the coon shone blew again and we all filed back to our cabins. I didn't realize how exhausted I was until I collapsed on my borrowed sleeping bag. My fingers curled around the minotaur's horn. I thought about my mom, but I had good thoughts. Her smile, the bedtime stories she would read me when I was a kid, the way she would tell me not to let the bedbugs, bedbugs bite. When I closed my eyes, I fell asleep instantly. That was the first day at Camp Halfblood. I wish I'd known how briefly I would get to enjoy my new home. So that was all for today. Thank you and have a nice day. Please stay tuned for the next episode. And if you like my podcast, please, please, please follow it and give it a like and share with your friends. And if you're a demigod, please feel free to make any comments about how to improve myself on Anchor. Thank you and bye-bye. Hey guys, once again, welcome back to Demigod Wars. And today I'm going to continue with the series. So, let's start with the 8th chapter of the book Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Chapter 8. We captured a flag. The next few days I settled into a routine that I felt almost normal. If you don't count the fact that I was getting lessons from satyrs, nymphs and a centaur. Each morning I took ancient Greek from Annabeth and we talked about the gods and goddesses in the present tense, which was kind of weird. I discovered Annabeth was right about my dyslexia. Ancient Greek wasn't that hard for me to read, at least no harder than English. After a couple of mornings, I could stumble through a few lines of Homer without too much headache. The rest of the day I would rotate through outdoor activities, looking for something I was good at. Shadon tried to teach me archery, which we found out pretty quick I wasn't any good with a bow and an arrow. He didn't complain, even when he had to de-snag a stray arrow out of his tail. Foot racing? No good either. The wood nymph instructors left me in the dust. They told me not to worry about it. They had centuries of practice running away from lovesick gods. But still, it was a little humiliating to be slower than a tree. 
and wrestling? Forget it. I every and every time I got on the mat, Clarice would pulmurize me. There's more where that came from, punk, she said, mumble. She didn't mumble in my ear. The only thing I really excelled at was scanning. And that wasn't the kind of heroic skill people expected to see from the kid who had beaten the Minotaur. Any of the senior campers and counselors were watching me, trying to decide who my dad was, but they weren't having an easy time of it. I wasn't as strong as the Aries kids or as good as archery as the Apollo kids. I didn't have Hephaestus skill with metalwork or gods forbid, Dionysus way of wine, way with wine plants. Luke told me I might be a child of Hermes, uh, kind of like jack of all, tra- all trades but master of none. So, but I got the feeling he just, he was just trying to make me feel better. He really didn't know what to make of me either. Despite all that, I liked camp. I got used to the morning fog over the beach, the smell of hot strawberry fields in the afternoon, even the weird noises of monsters in the woods at night. I would eat dinner with Cabin Eleven, scrape part of my meal into the fires and try to feel some connection to my real dad. Nothing came. Just that warm feeling I always had, like the memory of a smile. I tried not to think too much about my mom, but I kept wondering, if gods and monsters were real, if all this magical stuff is real, surely there was some way to save her, to bring her back. I started to understand Luke's bitterness and how he seemed to resent his father, Hermes. So okay, maybe gods had important things to do, but couldn't they call once in a while or, thun- or thunder or something? Dionysus could make Diet Coke appear out of thin air. Why couldn't my dad, whoever he was, make a phone appear? Thursday afternoon, three days after I had arrived at Camp Hufford, I had my first sword fighting lesson. Everybody from Camp 11 gathered in the big circular arena where Luke would be an instructor. He started with basic stabbing and slashing, using some straw-stuffed straw dummies in Greek armor, I guess. I did okay. At least I understood what I was supposed to do and my reflexes were good. The problem was, I couldn't find a blade that felt right in my hands. Either they were too heavy or too light or too long. Luke tried his best to fix me up, but he agreed that none of the practice blades seemed to work for me. We moved on to dwelling in prayers. Luke announced that he would be my partner since this was my first time. Good luck, one of the campers told me. Luke's the best swordsman in the last 300 years. Maybe he'll go easy on me, I said. The campers snorted. Luke showed me thrust and parries and shield blocks the hard way. With every swipe, I got a little more battered and bruised. Keep your guard up, Percy, he'd say, then whap me in the ribs with the flat of his blade. No, not that far up. Whap, lunge, whap, now back. Whap. By the time he called a break, I was soaked in sweat. Everybody swarmed the drinks cooler. Luke poured ice water in his head, which looked like such a good idea I did the same. Instantly, I felt better. Strength surged back into my arms. The sword didn't feel so awkward. Okay, everybody, circle up, Luke ordered. If Percy doesn't mind, I want you to give you a little demo. Great, I thought. Let's walk Percy get pounded. The Hermes guys gathered around. They were suppressing smiles. I figured they had been in my shoes before and couldn't wait to see how Luke used me for a punching bag. He told everybody he was going to demonstrate a disarming technique, how to twist the enemy's blade with the flat of your own sword so that he had no choice but to drop his weapon. This is difficult, he stressed. I have had it used against me. No laughing at Percy now. Most swordsmen have to work years to master this technique. He demonstrated the move on me in slow motion. Sure enough, the sword clattered out of my hand. Now in real time, he said, after I had retrieved my weapon, we keep sparring. 
until one of us pulls it off. Ready, Percy? I nodded and Luke came after me. Somehow I kept him from getting a shot at the hilt of my sword. My senses opened up. I saw his attacks coming and countered. I stepped forward and tried a thrust of my own. Luke deflected it easily but I saw a change in his face. His eyes narrowed and it was only a matter of second before Luke took me down. So I figured, what the heck? I tried a disarming maneuver. The blade hit the base of Luke's and I twisted, putting my whole weight into a downward thrust. Clank. Luke's sword rattled against the stones. The tip of my blade was an inch from his undefended chest. The other campers were silent. I lowered my sword. Um, sorry. For a moment, Luke was too stunned to speak. Sorry? His scarred face broke into a grin. By the gods, Percy, why were you sorry? Show me that again. I didn't want to. The short burst of maniac energy had completely abandoned me, but Luke insisted. This time, there was no contest. The moment our swords connected, Luke hit my, hit my hilt and sent my weapon skidding across the floor. After a long pause, somebody in the audience said, Beginner's luck? Luke wiped the sweat off his brow. He appraised at me with an entirely new interest. Maybe, he said, but I wonder what Percy could do with a balanced sword. Friday afternoon, I was sitting with Grover at the lake, resting from a near-death experience on the climbing wall. Grover had scampered to the top like a mountain goat, but the lava had almost gotten me. My shirt had smoking holes in it. The hairs had been singed off my arms. We sat on the pier watching the Nayans do underwater basket weaving until I got up the nerve to ask Grover how his conversation had gone with Mr. D. His face turned a sickly shade of yellow. Fine, he said. Just great. So, your career is still on track? He glanced at me nervously. Shiron t- told you I want a s- searcher's license? Well, no. I had no idea what a searcher's license was, but it didn't seem like the right time to ask. He said you had big plans, you know, and that you needed credit for completing a keeper's assignment. So, did you get it? Grover looked down at the Nayans. Mr. D suspended judgment. He said I hadn't failed or succeeded with you yet, so our fates were still tied together. If you got a quest and I went along to protect you, and we both come back alive, then maybe he'd consider the job complete. My spirits lifted. Well, that's not bad. So bad, right? <sighs> he might as well have transferred me, transferred me to stable cleaning duty. The chances of you getting a quest, and even if you did, why would you want me to come along? Of course I want you to come along. Robert stared glumly into the water. Basket weaving. Must be nice to have a useful skill. I tried to reassure him that he had lots of talents, but that just made him look more miserable. We talked about canoeing and sword play for a while, and debated the pros and cons of the different gods. Finally, I asked him about the four empty cavens. Number 8, the silver one, belongs to Artemis, he said. She vowed to be a maiden forever, so of course, no kids. But the other three, the ones at the end, are those the big three? The cave is ornery, you know. If, you, if she didn't have one, she'd be mad. Grover tensed. We were getting close to a touchy subject. No, one of them, number two, is Hera's, he said. That's another honorary thing. She's the goddess of marriage, so of course she wouldn't go another around having affairs with mortals. That's her husband's job. When we say the big three, we mean the three powerful brothers, the sons of Kronos, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Right. You know, after the great battle with the Titans, they took over the world from their dad and drew lots to decide who got what. Zeus got the sky, I remembered. Poseidon got the sea, Hades the underworld. Uh Uh-huh. 
but Hades doesn't have a gaming hair. No, he doesn't have a throne on Olympus either. He sort of does his own thing in the underworld. If he did have a cabin here, Bravo shadowed. Well, it wouldn't be pleasant. Let's leave it at that. With Zeus and Poseidon, they both had like a bazillion kids in the midst. Why are their cabins empty? Bravo shifted his hooves uncomfortably. About 60 years ago, after World War II, the big three agreed they wouldn't star any more heroes. Their children were just too powerful. They were, they were affecting the course of human events too much, causing too much carnage. World War II, you know, that was basically a fight between the sons of Zeus and Poseidon on one side and the sons of Hades on the other. The winning side, Zeus and Poseidon made Hades so Hades swear an oath with them. No more affairs with mortal women. They all swore on the river sticks. Thunder moved. I said, that's the most serious oath you can make. Ravis nodded. And the brothers kept their word? No kids? Ravis' face darkened. Seventeen years ago, Zeus fell off the wagon. There was this TV starlet with a big fluffy 80s hairdo. He just couldn't help himself. When the child was born, a little girl named Thalia. Well, the river sticks are serious about promises. Zeus himself got off easy because he is immortal, but he bought a terrible fate on his daughter. But that isn't fair. It wasn't the little girl's fault. Robert hesitated. Percy, children of the big three have powers greater than other half-bloods. They have a strong aura, a scent that attracts monsters. When Hades found out about the girl, he wasn't too happy about Zeus breaking his oath. Hades led the worst monsters out of Tartarus to torment Thalia. A satyr was assigned to be her keeper when she was twelve, but there was nothing he could do. He tried to escort her here with a couple of other half-bloods she had befriended. They almost made it. They got all the way to the top of that hill. He pointed across the valley to the pine trees where I had fought the Minotaur. All three kindly ones were after them, along with a horde of hellhounds. They were about to be overrun when Thalia told Asati to take the other two half-bloods to safety while she held off the monsters. She was wounded and tired, and she didn't want to live like a hunted animal. Asati didn't want to leave her, but he couldn't change her mind, and he had to protect the others. So Thalia made her final stand along, alone at the top of that hill. As she died, Zeus took pity on her. He turned her into a, into that pine tree. Her spirits still helps protect the borders of the valley. That's why the hill is called Half-Blood Hill. It stared at the pine in the distance. The story made me feel hollow and guilty too. A girl my age had sacrificed herself to save her friends. She had faced a whole army of monsters. Next to that, my, my victory over the Minotaur doesn't seem like much. I wondered if I had acted differently, could I have saved my mother? Ravaris said, Have heroes really gone on quest to the underworld? Sometimes, he said, Orpheus, Hercules, Houdini, and have they ever returned somebody from the dead? No, never. Orpheus came close. Percy, you are not seriously thinking? No, I lied. I was just wondering. So, Saturn is always assigned to guard a demigod? Rava studied me warily. I hadn't persuaded him that I really dropped the underworld idea. Not always. We do undercover to a lot of schools. We try to sniff out the half-bloods who mark to have the makings of great heroes. If we find one with a very strong aura, like a child of the big three, we alert Chiron. He tries to keep an eye on them since they could cause really huge problems. And you found me. Chiron said, you thought I might be something special. Rava looked as if I had just led him to a trap. 
I didn't. Oh, okay. Listen, don't think like that. If you were, you know, you would never ever be allowed a quest and I did never get my license. You're probably a child of Hermes or maybe even one of the minor gods like Mimesis, the god of, the god of revenge. Don't worry, okay? I got the idea he was reassuring himself more than me. That night after dinner, there was a lot more excited excitement than usual. At last, it was time for capture the flag. The plates were cleared away. The cone's horn sounded and we all stood at our tables. Campus yelled and cheered as Annabeth and two of her siblings ran into the pavilion carrying a silk banner. It was about two feet, ten feet long, glistening grey, and with a painting of a barn owl over an olive tree. From the opposite side of the pavilion, Clarice and her buddies ran in with another banner of identical size, but gaudy red, painted with a bloody sphere and a boar's head. I turned to Luke and yelled over the nurse, Those are the flags? Yeah! Ares and Athena always lead the teams? Not always, he said, but often. So, if another ca- cabin captures one, what do you do? Repaint the flag? He grinned. You'll see. First, we have to get the one. Whose side are we on? He gave me a sly look, as if he knew something I didn't. The scar on his face made him look almost evil in the torchlight. We have made a temporary alliance with Athena. Tonight, we get the flag from Ares, and you are going to help. The teams were announced. Athena had made an alliance with Apollo and Hermes, the two biggest cabins. Apparently, privileges had been traded. Shower times, score, score, schedules, the best slots for activities in order to win support. Ares had allied themselves with everybody else, Dionysus, Demeter, Aphrodite and Hephaestus. From what I did see, Dionysus' kids were actually good athletes, but there were only two of them. Demeter's kids are at the edge with natural skills and outdoor stuff, but they weren't very aggressive. Aphrodite's sons and daughters I wasn't too worried about. They mostly sat out every activity and checked the reflections in the mirror and did their hair and gossiped. Hephaestus' kids weren't pretty and they were only four of them, but they were big and burly from working in the metal shop all day. There might be a problem. That, of course, left Ares' cabin. A dozen of the biggest, ugliest, meanest kids on Long Island of or anywhere else on the planet. Shiran hammered his hoof on the marble. Heroes, he announced. You know the rules. The creek is the boundary line. The entire forest is fair game. All magic items are allowed. The banner must be prominently displayed and have no more than two guards. Prisoners may be disarmed, but may not be bound or gagged. No killing or maiming is allowed. I will serve as referee and battlefield medic. Arm yourselves. He spread his hands and the tables were suddenly covered with equipment. Helmets, bronze swords, spheres, oxide shields, coated in metal. Whoa, I said. We're really supposed to use these? Luke looked at me as if I was crazy. Unless you want to get skewered by your friends in Cabin 5. Here, Shiran thought these would fit. You. You'll be on border patrol. My shield was the size of an MBA back, backboard with a big Sadducees in the middle. It weighed about a million pounds. I could have snowboarded on it fine, but I hoped nobody seriously expected me to run fast. The helmet, like all the helmets on Athena's side, had a blue horsehair plume on top. Ares and their allies had red plumes. Annabeth yelled, Blue team, forward! We cheered and shook our swords and followed her down the path to the south of the southwards. The red team yelled taunts at us as they headed off towards the north. I managed to catch up with Annabeth without tripping over my equipment. Hey! She kept marching. So, what's the plan? I asked. Got any magic items you can loan me? 
her hand drifted towards her pocket as if she were afraid it had stolen something. Just watch Clarice's fear, she said. You don't want that thing touching you. Otherwise, don't worry. We'll take the banner from Aries. Has Luke given you a job? Border patrol, whatever that means. It's easy. Stand by the creek, keep the reds away, leave the rest to me. Athena always has a plan. She pushed ahead, leaving me in the dust. Okay, I mumbled. Glad you wanted me on a team. It was a warm, sticky night. The woods were dark, with fireflies popping in and out of view. And with stationed me next to a little creek that gurgled over some rocks. Then she and the rest of the team scattered into the trees. Standing there alone with my big blue feathered helmet and my huge shield, I felt like an idiot. The broom sword, like all the swords I had tried so far, seemed balanced wrong. The leather grip pulled on my hand like a bowling ball. There was no way anybody would actually attack me. Would they? I mean, Olympus had had to have liability issues, right? Far away, the Kunshan blew. I heard whoops and yells in the woods, the clanking of metals, kids fighting. A blue-plumed alley from a pillar raced past me like a deer, leaped through the creek and disappeared into enemy territory. Great, I thought. I'll miss all the fun as usual. Then I heard a sound that sent a chill up my spine, a low canning growl, somewhere close by. I raised my shield instinctively. I had the feeling something was stalking me. Then the growling stopped. I felt the presence retreating. On the other side of the creek, the underbrush exploded. Five Avery's warriors came yelling and screaming out of the dark. Cream the punk! Clary screamed. Her ugly pig eyes glared through the slits of her helmet. She brandished a five-foot-long spear, its barred metal tip flickering with red light. Her siblings had only the standard-issue bronze swords. Not that that made me feel any better. They changed across the they charged across the stream. There was no help in sight. I could run, or I could defend myself against half the enemy Aries Cavens. I managed to sidestep the first kid's swing, but these guys were not as stupid the Minotaur. They surrounded me. Clarice thrust me with her sphere. The shield deflected the point. My shield deflected the point, but I felt a painful tingling all over my body. My hair stood on end. My shield arm went numb and the air burned. Electricity. Her stupid sphere was electric. I fell back. Another Aries guy slammed me in the chest with the butt of his sword and I hit the dirt. They could have kicked me into jelly, but they were too busy laughing. Give him a haircut, Clary said. Grab his hair. I managed to get to my feet. I raised my sword, but Clary slammed it again, slammed it aside with her sphere as sparks flew. Now, both my arms fell numb. Oh, wow, Clary said. I'm scared of this guy. Really scared. The flag is that way, I told her. I wanted to sound angry, but I was afraid it didn't come out that way. Yeah, one of her siblings said. But see, we don't care about the flag. We care about the guy who made our cave and look stupid. You could do that without my help, I told them. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. Two of them came to me. I backed up towards the creek, raised my shield. But Clary's was too fast. His fear struck me straight in the ribs. If I hadn't been wearing an arm and breastplate, I should have been shish kebabbed. As it was, the electric point was just about shocked my teeth out of my mouth. One of her cave mates slashed his sword across my arm, leaving a good-sized cut. Seeing my own blood made me dizzy, warm and cold at the same time. No maiming, I managed to say. Oops, the guy said. Guess I lost my desert privilege. He pushed me into the creek and I landed with a splash. They all laughed. 
I figured as soon as they were through being amused, I would die. But then something happened. The water steamed to wake up my senses as if I had just had a bag of mom's double espresso jelly beans. Clarice and her cabin mates came into the creek to get me, but I stood to meet them. I knew what to do. I slung the flat of my sword against the first guy's head and knocked his helmet clean off. I hit him so hard I could see his eyes vibrating as he crumpled into the water. Ugly number one and ugly number two came at me. I slammed into and slammed one in the face with my shield and used my sword to shear off the other guy's horsehair plume. One of, both of them backed up quick. Ugly number four didn't look really anxious to attack but Clarice kept coming, the point of a sphere crackling with energy. As soon as he thrust, I caught the shaft between the edge of my shield and sword and I snapped it like a twig. Ah! She screamed. You idiot! You scorched breath warm! She probably would have said something worse but I smacked her between the eyes with her sword butt and sent her stumbling backward out of the creek. Then I heard yelling, elated screams and I saw Luke racing towards the boundary land with the red team's banner lifted high. He was flanked by a couple of Hermes guys covering his retreat and a few Apollos behind him, fighting off the Hephaestus kids. The Ares folks got up and Clarice muttered a dazed curse. A trick, she shouted. It was a trick. They staggered after Luke but it was too late. Everybody converged on the creek as Luke ran across into friendly territory. As I'd exploded into cheers, the red manor shimmered and turned into silver. The boar and sphere were replaced with a huge Sadduceus, the symbol of Cabin Eleven. Everybody on the blue team picked up Luke and started carrying him around their, around on their shoulders. Shiron cantered out from the woods and blew the Kunshan. The game was over. We won. I was about to join the celebration when Annabeth's voice, right next to me, the creek, said, Not bad, hero. I looked, but she wasn't there. Where the heck did you learn to fight like that? She asked. There shimmered and she materialized, holding a Yankees baseball cap as if she had just taken it off her head. I felt myself getting angry. I wasn't even faced by the fact that she was invisible. You all had it figured it out. You put me up here because you knew Clarice would come after me while you sent Luke around the flank. You set me up. Ambit shrugged. I told you, Athena always, always has a plan. A plan to get me pulverized. I came as fast as I could. I was about to jump in but she shrugged. You didn't need my help. Then she noticed my wounded arm. How did you do that? Sword cut, I said. What do you think? No, it was a sword cut. Look at it. The blood was gone. Where the huge cut had been, there was a long white scratch and even that was fading. As I washed, it turned into a small scar and disappeared. I... I don't get it, I said. Anvit was thinking hard. I could almost see the gears turning. She looked down at my feet, then at Clary's broken sphere and said, Step out of the water, Percy. What? Just do it. I came out of the creek and immediately felt bone tired. My arms started to go numb again. My adrenaline rush left me. I almost fell over, but Anvit steadied me. Who sticks? She cursed. This is not good. I didn't want. I assumed it would be serious. Oh my god. Before I could ask what she meant, I heard that cannon roll again, but much closer than before. A howl reaped through the forest. The campus shearing died instantly. Shiran shouted something in ancient Greek, which I would realize only later I had perfectly understood. Stand ready, my bow! Amber drew her sword. 
There on the rocks just above us was a black hound the size of a rhino with lava red eyes and fangs like daggers. It was looking straight at me. Nobody moved except Annabeth who yelled, Percy, run! She tried to step in front of me but the hound was too fast. It leaped over her enormous shadow with teeth and just as it hit me, I stumbled backward and it felt and felt its razor-sharp claws ripping through my armor. There was a cascade of thwacking sounds like forty pieces of paper being ripped one after the another. From the hound's neck sprouted a cluster of arrows. The monster fell dead at my feet. By some miracle, I was still alive. I didn't want to look underneath the ruins of my shredded armor. My chest felt warm and wet, and I knew I was badly cut. Another second and the monster would have turned me into hundred pounds of delicacent meat. Shiran trotted up next to us, a bow in his hand and face grim. Die, mortals, Anvid said. That's a hell from the fields of punishment. They don't. They're not supposed to. Someone summoned it, Shiran said. Someone inside the camp. You came over, the banner in his hand forgotten, his moment of glory gone. Clarice yelled, It's all Purse's fault. Purse summoned it. Be quiet, child, Shiran told her. We watched the body of the Hellhound melt into the shadow, soaking into the ground until it disappeared. We are wounded, Anvid told me. Quick, Percy, get into the water. I'm okay. No, you are not, she said. Shiran, watch this. I was too tired to argue. I stepped back into the creek, the whole camp gathering round me. Instantly, I felt better. I could feel the cuts on my chest closing up. Some of the campers gasped. Look, I, I don't know why. I said, trying to apologize. I'm sorry. But they weren't watching any wounds heal. They were just staring at something above my head. Percy. Um, Anvid said, pointing. By the time I looked up, the sign was already fading, but I could still make out the hologram of green light spinning and gleaming. It freed its fear. It threatened. Your father, Anvid murmured. This is really not good. It's determined, Shiran announced. All around me, Campbell started kneeling, even the Aries cave in, though they didn't look happy about it. My father? I asked, completely bewildered. Poseidon, said Chiron. Earthshaker, Stormbringer, father of heroes. Hail Perseus Jackson, son of the Sea God. So that was all for today and I hope you like my podcast. And if you like it, stay tuned for the next episode. And I, I'll keep you posted with the rest of the episodes. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye.